are listening to the Elephant in the Room podcast with your host, Sutta Singh. Each week, we will bring you a diverse range of inspiring speakers on issues of inequality and inequity. You will hear stories about fairness, justice, belonging, and about best practice for creating a more inclusive workplace. So, if you are an individual or leader interested in a fairer, equitable, compassionate society and workplace, this podcast is for you. My guest on the Elephant in the Room podcast this week is Hrithika Vadfa, CEO and founder of Prabhav Global, a specialist cultural intelligence consultancy. She is a fellow at the Society of Leadership Fellows Windsor Castle, a fellow at the Royal Society of Arts, and is a member of the Strategic Advisory Board for British Transport Police. Good afternoon, uh, Ritika. Wonderful to have you as a guest today on the Elephant in the Room podcast. Thank you for being here. You're most welcome. Thank you for having me, Sudha. This has been something that I have been excited to be on for a while. Yeah, we've been planning this for some time. So to start with, can you give us a quick introduction to who you are and what you do? Sure. So I am Ritika Vadva. I am the CEO and founder of Prabhav Global. Prabhav means impact in Hindi. And that's what I'm here for, impact, impactful work and using the transformative power of cultural intelligence for impactful leadership. Besides that, I also sit on the strategic advisory board of British Transport Police. I'm a leadership fellow at Windsor Castle and also a trustee at the 5% Club. All of this to say that really grateful to be here on this conversation with you talking about everything that we're going to talk about, and I'm excited about that. Brilliant. So how and when did you decide to focus on cultural intelligence. Was it a natural pathway to the work that you were doing? Because I've seen you've had varied experience or did you just wander into it, you know, and you were good at it? Oh, I don't know about good, (laughs) but uh, it's definitely been a journey. So I was born and brought up in India. Let's start from there. Born and brought up in India in a very sort of strict patriarchal society and community structure. I then moved to the UK to do my MBA. And uh, along the way, you know, until we've got to this point, I have worked and studied and lived in three continents. So when COVID hit, and I was sort of going from one job to the next until that point, when COVID hit, it almost felt like, I know what I don't want to do, but I don't know what I want to do, if that makes sense. So I was very clear about the job that I was in at that point was not something that was serving me and I didn't see it serving me for the rest of my career. So I went on a coaching journey to really unpack who I was, what I wanted to do from life, because as an Indian woman, it's almost as if you never ask that question, you get on with life, you get on with doing the duties as a mother, as a daughter, as a sister, as a wife, as you know, all of that. And your career is there somewhere in the way for various reasons, but it's not something that you think about too much or give it the importance that you should probably. So I gave it the importance that it deserves at that point in my life. And I went on that coaching journey, unraveled what was important to me, what my transferable skills were and what I wanted to do for the remaining part of my career. Because all said and done, we are doing a job, whether that's eight hours a day, 10 hours a day, a core part of our life is working. So for me, the question was, how can I 
sit back for a second and really do what I want to do because I'm going to give this the time anyway. So in that coaching journey, DEI came out, diversity, equity, inclusion came out as a passion, rightly so, because as an immigrant, as a woman of color living in the UK, who's been born and brought up in India, this is something that I was very passionate about. And then I saw the job ad for Cultural Intelligence Center and I applied and got the job. The thing that called me towards cultural intelligence was the fact that here's a framework that actually makes people accountable for behavior change. And that's what I was interested in. I'm interested in actions and behavior change rather than training courses that people go into and are not accountable for that behavior change. And so cultural intelligence almost called me and uh, it was meant to be. And I started working for them as director of operations more than a couple of years ago got promoted to chief operating officer while I was with them. And cultural intelligence has been since then a core of what I do and how I intend to change the world. Wow, that sounds absolutely incredible. You've said that we don't normally spend any time thinking about where we want to go and where we are on the journey and where we'd like to go and what the next 10 years, what would I like to be doing for that period of time? You launched your company, Prabhav Global. I saw your posts on LinkedIn and I heard from our conversations. We're very passionate about the name, about what you're setting out to do. So you're new to the entrepreneurial journey, but how has the journey been? And I recently also saw on LinkedIn that you won ASOS as a client. So massive congratulations. And tell us a bit about this journey. Yeah, thank you. Fascinating, right? If someone would have told me, even in March this year, that you would be setting up your own organization, I wouldn't have believed them. No way. Because I've been on a salary for 30 years. And as much as the rest of my family is filled with entrepreneurs, I never thought that I would be one of them because the job security, especially if you have a young family, it's really important. And I thought, you know what, you do your job, you get your salary, you give your best to the job you have. And then, you know, the times that you fall sick, et cetera, et cetera, you, you just think the entrepreneur way sounds really risky. Yeah. But this time round, it almost felt like something in the higher powers was pushing me towards that. The way things unraveled, it almost felt like this is what's meant to be at this point in time. So literally, I just decided to set up the company, give it my all for as long as I can afford to and see where it goes. The underlying factor that pushed me towards being an entrepreneur was, hey, bet on yourself. It's fine. Just believe in yourself and bet on yourself fully and wholly and see where it goes. So I set up Prabhav and you're right, even when I decided to call it Prabhav Global, a lot of people were giving me their feedback to say, why make it difficult? And I said, difficult for who? (laughs) Because Prabhav speaks to me. Prabhav means impact in Hindi. And that's what I want to do. That's me. That's my identity. That's my language. And I'm done with fitting in. I'm done with trying to be someone I'm not yet again. So I said, that's it. I'm going to call it Prabhav Global. Um, The colors of the company are going to be turmeric because I love yellow. It's my favorite spice. And turmeric is the spice that transforms everything that it touches. True. That's what I want to achieve through Prabhav Global, transformational leadership, transformational behaviors. And so it's been a very fascinating journey. It's only three and a half months so far. And I have learned more than I've learned any 
time in my life before. <laughs> Thanks to amazing people like yourself who I have come across along the way who have been just God sent, right? Right from some of the introductions you've made, Sudha, to just being around for conversations. You know, I've been really lucky to have people like yourself in this journey so far. That doesn't make it feel lonely that when I'm feeling down, I know I can pick up the phone and talk to people to go, okay, oh my God, right? What do I do with this next? And people that have been on the journey a lot longer than I have, they are willing to share. And that's beautiful. Those people that I've met along in the last three, four months that have taught me some shared with with absolute generosity, with not a comparative spirit, but just a generous spirit of wanting to see each other do well because we're on the same journey, we're on the same path, really wanting to get the same outcomes. And so that generosity of spirit has been absolutely beautiful. I still worry about a lot of things in life, but I somehow do not worry that much about business. Yeah. Because again, I have been put on this path by higher powers. So I believe that the higher powers will look after me. And at the end of the day, it's work, you know, it's work. It'll all work out. And I think you've been amazingly generous. I have seen the kind of generosity that you yourself extend to others and the wonderful network of people around you and how generous you are to open up that network to anyone, including to me. So I'm sure there are people who know that and good things definitely have an impact and make an impact on people. And there is definitely a snowballing effect on that. What would your advice be, Ritika, to organizations who are getting on this journey, why is cultural intelligence important for them? What are the three or four things that they can start with? So I just think that it's a no-brainer. And I say it's a no-brainer because look at the way the world is rapidly changing around us. Look at even right now what's going on with the division around the world that is causing havoc everywhere. It's heartbreaking, really, that humanity is going after each other in such a sorry and a sad way. So I feel from that context, it's almost a no-brainer that we have to find ways to find more that is common between us than there isn't. And cultural intelligence is one way that does that. There's also the fact that the world is globalized because of digitalization, because of social media. We've all come closer together in a way. Those boundaries have become less and less pronounced. I also want to say, you know, what does AI mean for us as humans and as we grow what does that mean for our roles in the future, five years, 10 years from now? What is this all going to unveil? So with so much ifs in the world around us right now, I think cultural intelligence is an absolutely needed skill that individuals and organizations need to develop, must develop, have to develop in order to even sustain themselves, in order to survive, in order to have a competitive edge. You just have to learn how to work with people. And so I just want to step back a little bit. Cultural intelligence then is the ability to work with people that are different from us. It's an ability that we can all develop, a skill that we can all develop, and a skill that, as I've said, is extremely much needed in the current context of the world that we operate in. So my advice to organizations that are starting on the journey is, first of all, congratulations to consider starting on the journey. That's the first step. And then the cultural intelligence framework itself unveils what are the three or four things. So the CQ drive, for example, the reason why we need to work with people that are different from us. 
CQ knowledge? How do we gather information about people that are different from us? CQ strategy, how do we plan to work with people that are different from us? And CQ action, how do we actually work? How do we use that knowledge? How do we use that planning and the purpose to work with people that are different from us? And so really, in a nutshell, the advice is to absolutely get on that journey and stay the path because it's like anything else. You're not going to be able to develop a sense of intelligence or anything else over over one workshop. It's a commitment to stay on that journey. It's that persistence to stay on the journey. And this is why the first, the most important thing that uh, organizations and individuals have to unveil is why should they go on that journey? Because if your why and your purpose is clear for any journey in life, but specifically as you go towards something that might be uncomfortable, then it's really important in order to stay persistent and confident on that journey, you have to be clear about your why. Yeah, that's so true, Ritika. You spoke about digitalization. You spoke about the world coming closer together. And also we live in a divided world. Organizations are working with diverse teams across geographies and people want to be treated fairly. They don't want people in the West or Europe or UK dictating to employ groups in Asia or Africa and not actually treating them equal to themselves. So I think, yeah, definitely as a way forward, it's something that people need to do. You've written an article about intent and impact. Tell us something about it. So impact is critical, definitely, from your perspective. So before I go to intent and impact, you mentioned something really interesting there, that employee groups and people around the world work differently, and it's important to understand that. So there's that aspect of global diversity, right? How does the nationality affect who we are and our cultural values and how we like to be spoken to or treated or respected, etc.? But then within the context of cultural intelligence, there's also domestic diversity, which can very much show up in generational differences. What you just mentioned around the generational culture of, I was speaking to someone recently who's a millennial, and she said to me, we are trying to work with a system that wasn't built for us to succeed. Yeah, true. How do I work with this system without being called lazy or impatient, etc.? Because I just can't be bothered to stay and try and work through a system that wasn't built for us in the first place. And those systems and policies and procedures that have been around decades, some organizations are doing it better than others, where you sit back and you go, well, this isn't serving us anymore. How do we change it? And so that's all part of the cultural intelligence work. So I just wanted to mention that before I get... Very critical. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Intent and impact. So where this has all come from is when I moved to the UK 20 something years ago, my accent was mocked terribly. I still had a very, very Indian accent. I still do, but then it was even more pronounced. At my first workplace, I was surrounded by people that would say my name wrong, say the words that I couldn't say in the British way. And what that did over a period of time is that it really brought my confidence down. Although in India, I had been taught the Queen's English History, geography, maths, whatever it was, all the topics were taught in English. We had an elective, Hindi, but it was English. And the language that I thought in was questioned. My ability to speak that language correctly was questioned in the first few years that I was here in the UK. Now, if I go back to those same people and say, did you intend for me to feel like that? They will probably absolutely say no. That was not, we were just having fun. And, you know, it was just part of it. 
rooms together, et cetera, et cetera. But the impact of that on me was awful. And so I've reached a place in my life as an immigrant, ethnic minority, woman of color, etc., to go, I genuinely don't care what your intent is because it's invisible to me. Yeah. A, I can't see it until it turns into an action that has an impact on me. So when people get people's names wrong or say things because it's banter or, you know, sorry, I didn't know, that's fine. But what is the impact of that on the marginalized communities? And that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in the impact fast. I'm interested in making people accountable for that impact. Really, there is no excuse anymore to ask the type of questions people ask because there's enough resources out there. There's enough knowledge out there for people to really get their head. That doesn't mean people can't be curious. Not everybody knows about everything. So, of course, there is a place for curiosity. But again, what is the impact? How is it that you're positioning your curiosity? So this is why I'm interested. Of course, there's a place for the fact that I intended to cause you harm and I've caused you harm versus I didn't intend to cause you harm and I have and I apologize for that. Yes, there is a difference in that. But the point where I'm making is that whether you intended to cause harm or you didn't, the impact is still the same. Yeah, agree. Actually, that's a very interesting perspective to share because we usually have very simplified versions of intent and impact. And you can't say that my intentions were good and the outcome has not been as good. You've spoken about your accent when you moved to the UK. And I've also noticed from the colors around Prabhav Global and you speak about turmeric. How important is your culture and identity to you and to who you are? If you asked me this question five years ago, 10 years ago, I would have been ashamed of who I was. I grew up in a very post-colonial India where everything white was deemed better, the best. So in India, when we had white people visiting our offices, you know, everybody circled around making sure they were okay. It was very much a post-colonial mindset of white is good. And so with that mindset, when I moved to the UK, it was very much about assimilating, very much about fitting in because it was about survival, about finding an identity that allowed me to survive in a system and an environment that was vastly similar to the one that I was brought up in. That overtook anything else. So how I spoke, how I dressed, how I did my hair, the people that I made friends with, everything centered around how I can survive by fitting in. And in that process, not only was I shameful of who I was, you know, oh my God, I was brought up in India. There's no way, like, look, oh my God, my Indian accent, how embarrassing. There's nothing I can do about that, no matter how much I tried let alone, you know, facets of what I would never wear Indian clothes out in public because that would be openly admitting to being Indian. And so I've come a full circle on that journey to the point now where actually hold me back from being who I am. Try it because I haven't been more proud of my roots, my heritage, my culture that's made me who I am brought me to this place in life that I stand in my full honesty and truth of that heritage. And I couldn't be more prouder. So now when I go to House of Lords events even, or go to Windsor Castle, I was very fortunate to be introduced to Her Highness Princess Anne. 
and I was wearing an Indian kurta and a bindi. It's almost as if I want to shout from the rooftops about how proud I am. And I think we have to be very cognizant ourselves of separating the two. It's one, separating the two things. One is knowing what your cultural identity is and two is being proud about that. So it's understanding who we are, what makes me who I am today, every facet of my cultural identity, which is my religion, which is my gender, which is my ethnicity, which is my language, which is my food, which is my clothes, all of that. But equally, how proud I am and in which places and where can I bring that identity with pride? I think there's a lot of people that are very aware of who they are, but they don't express it because they feel like that's not something that's going to help them in the life journey that they're on. And like you said, most of us don't want to stand out. You just want to fit in. And uh, I think at that point in time, also, there wasn't as much awareness and acceptance of what different people or diverse people bring to the table. And I mean, I hadn't worn a sari to an event in the UK forever until just post-pandemic in the first PRCA EIAC conference, in-person conference, I wore a sari and I got under the Great Western. And of course, I stuck out like a sore thumb. And I guess I was more conscious than other people around because we are so used to everyone dressing in a similar fashion, sort of fitting in with the Western standards of what is acceptable to wear and what is not acceptable to wear. And that conference was about being uncomfortable. And I thought, if I don't put myself in this, I can't tell anyone else to do that. But it was also a revelation. It was that, okay, you can stand in your truth. You can be who you are. It's also about my consciousness. Do I want to let other people define for me what I can do and cannot do? And of course, it makes a difference that we live in a very different society to what we lived in 23 years ago. So yeah, more power to you, Ritika. Uh, Sudha, so then my question constantly back on this entire conversation is who decides what is acceptable? Who has decided that, you know, like, I don't know, was it 30, 40, 50 years ago that women couldn't wear trousers? Yeah, that wasn't acceptable. And who decides what food is okay to eat? Who decides what names are okay to be called? Who decides what we can wear? Who decides tattoos are not okay to be at work? Who decides? It's usually and how do we allow them to decide? Yeah, it's usually the dominant power networks who decide that. And I think it's time not to let money and influence make the decisions for us. And as you said, it's time to stand in our truth and what works for us. It's one life, huh? Yeah, absolutely. We get one chance at it. Absolutely, absolutely. What is it one thing that you cherish as an entrepreneur and the one thing that you dread? (laughs) Oh, I can easily tell you about the dread straight away. I hate admin. Oh Oh my my God. God. Somebody take away the invoicing and the calendar invoice and the, oh my God, zero and free. I just hate it with it. Like it's on my list every day and it never gets done. (laughs) It's very boring. And also the filings, I mean. Oh my God. Right. That's easily the the part that I absolutely hate. (laughs) But I'm fortunate that I've hired someone who's phenomenal at it. And so she's getting on, at least it's getting done, right? In some way. So that's the part taken care of. The part that I enjoy most is just the flexibility, first of all, to be your own boss. 
especially when you have young kids, like I'm picking up my little one from school so much more. I can absolutely have the calls during the time that she's at school. I can get back to work after she's asleep. Number of days I want to take off. It's just so liberating that I don't have to fill a form to ask someone for time off. Or a friend asked me, do you want to go paddle boarding on Friday? And I was the first week of being an entrepreneur. I was like, oh my God, I can. <laughs> I don't have to ask anyone to take a Friday off on the first week that I've started my own organization. Yeah. So the flexibility, but also I love the empowerment. I love the fact that I can take my organization to whichever direction I want to take it to, to scale those new heights for the impact that I want to create. So on a very serious note, the purpose of what I'm trying to do is around creating impactful leaders. Then the sky is my limit. The world is my oyster in how I scale, who I work with, or all those amazing ideas and innovations that is going through my brain all the time I can actually do something with that without having to ask for approvals or go through any internal systems and processes I can actually just go hey yeah I want the color to be yellow off you go it's all yellow you know what I mean like wow (laughs) absolutely absolutely you you get that completely right it's just so empowering you know I miss the strategic input that comes from working in teams but I've built my tribe around that I was with somebody last evening and we had a lovely lunch at the shard and we just spent two hours strategically brainstorming on how we can empower each other's businesses how can we make things better how can we scale how can we innovate and it's just I love it yeah that's amazing I think being an entrepreneur is actually when you start to recognize that you have the power to do some things and you know say no or say yes or be flexible which you'd never do in a working space and you know the dread when you're bringing up a young family the dread that you have running late will these guys think that I'm making excuses always feeling guilty and organizations make you feel like that even in today's world. So I absolutely agree with you. It's a fantastic journey. Uh, An entrepreneur's journey is very much 100% outcome based, isn't it? It really is. It doesn't matter where you work from or how many hours you work or how much time off you take. It's how much ever you want to push yourself and what outcomes you want for yourself personally and professionally. And you carve that journey. Absolutely. So true. And well said. Ritika, what does leadership mean to you? You engage with leaders all the time and you speak with leaders. What does leadership mean to you? I mean, in a nutshell, so this is the one thought and reflection that I want to share. If we do not maximize the human experience, we fail to optimize human performance. So at the center of leadership sits the core values of maximizing the human experience. And as a leader, what is it that you need to do to be able to unlock the potential of those that you work with to create the vision that sits at the heart of maximizing that human experience? And I think in a nutshell, that's what leadership should be. How you show up as a role model and as a leader needs to sit in line with what does it mean for maximizing the human potential of everyone that works with you for you because they're all different human beings that bring unique perspectives and if you allow them to create the space the psychologically safe space for them to be who they are there really is no limit to what can be achieved at an individual 
team and organizational level. This is so beautifully articulated. That's true. I haven't put this question in, but I want to ask you this one. Who are your role models? What oh my motivates God. <laughs> you? What made, motivates you and drives you? My role models are sitting in all those books that I'm reading all the time, right? From Maya Angelou to, you know, I'm reading Alice Walker's book right now, The Color Purple again, oh. Martin Luther King, you know, just lead. look at India's president right now. Her background, the the obstacles she faced in her life to where she is, you know, what casteism does for India and look where she is. It's just the role models around us are plenty. And so it's very difficult to say who's the one role model. Uh, I wake up in the morning because I want to leave a legacy. And I want to break my own concrete ceilings and glass ceilings because there's no way a little girl growing up in Bombay would have been running her own business in the UK as CEO. And so for me, how do I continue to better myself from one day to the next? How do I leave a legacy for my daughters? How do I leave a legacy for all those brown women coming behind me that are going, okay, this is possible. Yeah. And so how do I do better from one day to the next so that that ladder stays down? And those coming behind me, whether that's my daughters or whether those that look like me or whether just any immigrant that comes into the country to go, okay, she can do it. I'm going to keep at it. Very inspiring. Uh, We are the last question. We've come to it very quickly. Uh, Complete the sentence I believe in. Myself. Awesome. (laughs) Right. That's it's got to be so that it's got to be it's got to start from there I believe in myself true couldn't have a better and more powerful response than that this has been such a wonderful conversation Ritika thank you so much for being here today I just loved listening to your perspectives and experiences and look forward to continuing to collaborate. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Sudha. And, you know, for the audience who can't see Sudha, she's looking absolutely beautiful in oh a pink God. sari. It's the Shera today. She's taken the time out to record this podcast. So happy the Shera to you, Sudha. And I have thoroughly enjoyed my conversation. I always do. So I look forward to more conversations with you at uh, at any point. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And happy the Shera to you too. Uh, and we'll be in touch. Take care. Thank you for joining us this week on the Elephant in the Room podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on any of your favorite platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And if you enjoyed listening to the podcast today, don't forget to write a review and tell your friends. Sign up on the link in the show notes to receive updates on our guest speakers, blogs, and events. And don't forget to tune in every Thursday for new episodes.